De Democrats now making a full court press to change or abolish it altogether. That wasn't always the case. Some of those same top Democrats supported it in years past. For example, here is one from 16 years ago. What they don't expect is for one party, be it Republican or Democrat, to change the rules in the middle of the game so that they can make all the decisions while the other party is told to sit down and keep quiet. The checks and balances which have been at the core of this republic are about to be evaporated by the nuclear option. And they will change the rules, break the rules, misread the Constitution, so that they will get their way. At its core, the filibuster is not about, not about stopping a nominee or a bill. It's about compromise and moderation. That's why the founders put unlimited debate in. Wow. Team Fox coverage, Chris Wallace has analysis, but first, Chad Pergram on the Hill and explain why this is so critical to the president. Chad, good morning. Good morning, Bill. Well, the Biden presidency hinges on the filibuster. You need 60 votes to overcome a filibuster. They can't approve the voting access bill without altering the filibuster. This is why President Biden advocates changing the filibuster. It's being abused in a gigantic way. And for example, it used to be you had to stand there and talk and talk and talk and talk until you collapsed. And guess what? People got tired of talking and tired of collapsing. So I strongly support moving in that direction. But contrary to what you're taught in school, few filibusters are actually what you saw in Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Most filibusters are phantom filibusters offstage. That's where a block of senators makes the Senate get 60 votes to start or end debate on a given piece of legislation, Bill. Chad, how do they change the filibuster? Is that a vote or what is it? Well, when you hear a senator say they want to keep the filibuster rule, that's nuance. You need 67 votes to end debate on a Senate rules change, so that won't happen. But when the Senate modified filibuster provisions in 2013 and 2017, they did so by setting a new precedent. Senate precedents are just as important as the rules, and establishing a new precedent only needs 51 votes. But Democrats don't have the votes to do so just yet. Okay, let's talk first, Anna, about the filibuster, because mm -hmm. this is the first time that we've heard President Biden being open to the idea of changing the filibuster rules. So tell us what that would mean for the filibuster effectively. Well, let's start with what is the filibuster, because we've been hearing so much about it, where you and I talk about it as if it's second nature, but a lot of people understandably don't know its genesis. George Washington uh, said, it was said to Thomas Jefferson that they should create the Senate to cool House legislation like a saucer cools hot tea. But the notion of a filibuster is not in the Constitution. It's a practice of what is effectively endless debate that evolved and became more common as time went on. Now, early on in American history, senators did not use endless debate very much to obstruct legislation they didn't like. It wasn't until the mid-1800s more and more senators Senators began to talk legislation to death that they opposed. It started happening so much in the mid-19th century that the term filibuster was born, derived from a Dutch word, freebooter, and the Spanish word filibustros, who were pirates raiding a Caribbean island. But there was no mechanism, Brie, at all uh, to overcome filibusters for the first century and a quarter of the U.S. Senate. Freebooter? Is that what you said? Freebooter? 
that's I the wish word. The, I wish that's what they called it, right? Then everyone <laughs> would pay attention. Okay, um, so how and when did the Senate change the rules to get around this talking a bill to death? It wasn't until 1917 uh, that this happened. It was at the urging of a frustrated President Woodrow Wilson uh, that the Senate adopted what is known as Rule 22, which allowed senators to vote to break a filibuster. And it was and still is known, as you know, Brianna, as invoking cloture. Here's a fun fact. The first time the new rule was used was to try to overcome a filibuster for the Treaty of Versailles in 1919. But at first, the vote threshold was a supermajority. It was actually 67 votes. But that became too hard to reach. So in 1975, it was brought down to the 60 votes that we have today. That's very interesting. And, you know, people look back, they look at the filibuster, they say it's a relic of Jim Crow. Explain that. Because Southern senators really took advantage of the filibuster for years to block civil rights legislation, uh, including anti-lynching bills. You see Strom Thurmond there in 1957. He spoke for 24 hours and 18 minutes against the Civil Rights Act of 1957. That was the longest uninterrupted filibuster in Senate history. Uh, it wasn't until 1964 that senators finally overcame a filibuster to pass the landmark civil rights bill under uh, President Lyndon Johnson's watch. And you remember, Brianna, I think we were covering the Senate at this time together. In 2013, the Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid got so fed up with GOP obstruction of Obama nominees, he led a major change so that judicial nominees and executive branch nominees now only need a simple majority. And you mentioned that Thurman talked for more than 24 hours. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, ever the filibuster or the freebooter or the filibustros, which <laughs> I love those words, um, we all are familiar with them from this behind you. Mr. Smith goes to Washington where Jimmy mm -hmm. Stewart just talked for a day straight till he was like crazy. Mm -hmm. That's not done much anymore. I mean, occasionally, I remember when I did cover the Hill with you, we'd see the cots rolled out overnight, yeah. very occasionally. Um, and that is the part of reform that President Biden is now talking about, right? That's right. What's happened in recent years is that senators use the filibuster so much that the expectation is that legislation will need 60 votes to pass. So it's kind of baked in. And majority leaders tend to schedule that so-called cloture vote to overcome a 60-vote threshold right away. The talking filibuster would actually be more of a change in practice than Senate rules for senators to do what you're looking at here. This happened uh, over the past 10 years or so. Rand Paul stood up and talked uh, for like 13 hours about of the use of military drone strikes, Ted Cruz uh, filibustered Obamacare. But so here is the thing. This is important. Experts that I talk to say that they don't really expect that the talking filibuster would do much to change obstruction. And here's why. Let's say Republicans are filibustering H.R. 1, the voting rights legislation. If they have 25 GOP senators or even 10 or five who want to talk and take turns going through the night and talking for days and days and days, they can. So the process would change, but the result may not break. I've only got one thing to say about that intro, and that's yowza. Today is going to be an insane day. A uh, couple of late nights here going into the, the main, the meat and potatoes of this episode that we're going to get into here very quickly. Uh, I played a lot of, or I guess it was two audio clips, but I played a lot of the audio clips that you're not seeing in normal news because 
I try to give everybody the benefit of the doubt, which is exactly what I'm doing with this episode. Title of the episode, what is the filibuster should stay around. The, I guess the sub theme to that is what is Joe Biden saying about the filibuster? Let's give him benefit of the doubt. But then let's also take him to task on who he is surrounding himself with. We saw in 2016, right out of the out of the gate, right after January 20th, or really, I guess, after Election Day, when we saw that Donald Trump was going to win, immediately there were lists already prepared of exactly who was going to be in his cabinet, who he was going to name to certain positions. And then, of course, as the nominations were approved, all these people were attacked. And many of them were bad players. Uh, I, I totally agree. I'm not... Anyways, that's that's completely besides the point. We're talking 2021 here. Joe Biden is surrounding himself with people who disagree with what he said at his press conference regarding the filibuster. So if you feel a little confused, maybe, or a little bit behind on what exactly the filibuster is, you obviously skipped the intro. I'm just kidding. Go back and listen to the intro because it's very educational. And just getting the procedural, you know, what is the filibuster down in your head is key to understanding why it's so important, number one. And number two, it sheds light on what the motives might be for somebody who wants to get rid of the filibuster. Whether it's Republican or Democrat, both parties have defended and both parties have um, slashed away at the effectiveness of the filibuster. Uh, so let's, let's take it from a standpoint of just normal human beings. We're normal Americans here trying to come to terms with the mechanisms of our of our government and how policy and laws are made. And from that standpoint, don't give a damn whether you're Republican or Democrat. There are people trying to topple our system of government and to take away the fundamental checks and balances that are built into it, the genius of the founders. And everybody loves the founders when it comes time to to use the, the Constitution as a crutch to get any sort of policy or law enacted. And then, the, especially the Democrats are just flagrant, flagrant um, haters of our Constitution and our Bill of Rights and constantly, consistently try to, to chop away at it just piece by piece death by a thousand cuts so 10 minutes in already let's, let's let's hit this topic of the filibuster and we'll see what we have time for at the end very quickly before we do that www.blackriflecoffee.com check them out check out their subscription options options and uh, check out the the unique roasts they have the unique flavors and just the absolute unique freshness that comes with this most american cup of coffee that you're going to get and then Jump over to Instagram at Cross and Musket. Check out our T-shirts, Cross and Musket apparel, uh, Cross and Musket apparel, and at checkout, use Insta for twenty percent off. A lot of people, my age especially, never saw Mister Smith goes to Washington. I never saw it. I've seen the clips though. Basically, it's the stereotypical. I mean, you know what the filibuster is without ever knowing what it is. Basically, if you don't want a piece of law to be passed well you get to stand up in front of congress and talk 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 and then time runs out and you never actually get to take a vote in order to pass it so it buys you some time and what joe biden is saying regarding the filibuster whereas right now you need well it started at 67 votes in the senate there are 100 senate members um if you need 67 then that means you you need basically the the two-thirds majority that we've heard about 
That 67 number has been taken down to 60, which is where we're currently at. You need 60 votes in the Senate to pass a law. So there's some recent changes. Um, so as it stands, you need 60 votes. So that doesn't bode well for anything the Democrats want to do right now because we have such an, well, literally an evenly split Senate. We've talked about that before. We're 50-50 Dems to Republicans with Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris being the tiebreaker. So what do you do? Well, first, what does that mean? What does it mean when you've got a Senate evenly split like that? Does that mean that, as Joe Biden might say, that Republican voters agree with him? That Republican voters are leaning Democrat, even though um, that's not what the Senate reflects? Of course not. That's garbage. Joe Biden saying in his his first press conference that he is going to be doing things that Republican voters want him to do even if it flies in the face of what Congress is willing to do. It's, it's completely opposed to itself, what he is saying there. And we talked about that, I think, on uh, episode 32. So if you want to get laws passed, but you can't get enough votes in the Senate, for whatever reason, we'll call it partisan partisanship, whatever it is, there's a reason. If you don't like the reason, does that mean you get to just say, well, screw it, I'm going to go around? No. There's, there's very specific reasons why our system of government is set up the way it is or was, and we've made so many modifications to it since then, we've overcomplicated it. And when you overcomplicate something, what do you get? You get loopholes. But at a basic understanding of what this means, if you're wanting a group of 100 people, it may be 20 Democrats, 80 Republicans, it might be however many of whichever party, whatever it is. This is set up the way it is so that you can't just have mob rule. It's the same thing with the Electoral College. You don't want to go just off of sheer votes. You want to actually be able to illustrate bipartisanship. And and, and they love saying that word in D.C. They love saying bipartisanship. It's a bipartisan bill. A bipartisan group of my colleagues are behind this bill. You hear that word all the time, but what does that mean? It definitely doesn't mean that people from both sides of the party love it. What it means is they've been able to round up, scrounge together enough people who might be opposed to the bill and say, well, what if we do this, this, and this? Now would you be on board to get us to that magical 60 number? Yes. Oh, bipartisan. Now, common sense, Republicans who believe in common sense, just the normal middle of the road, Republicans are jumping on board with this, and now it's bipartisan. It's not the case. Um, And so if you are unable to achieve that two-thirds majority to pass a bill, to me, anyways, that shows that you don't have enough states behind you and your agenda because nobody's surprised by what Joe Biden's doing right now or his administration, anyways. Nobody's surprised. He said it all. Now, some of it, he lied and said, you know, he wouldn't do certain things like going against uh, fracking banning the uh, Keystone XL pipeline, and now with the filibuster talks. And and I, I spent so much time on this episode because I don't want to just say what Joe Biden says because we're, we're all aware. We all watched the press conference. Joe Biden's not even, even, even in control of what he eats every day. He's not in control of whether the toilet seat's up, and, up or down. He's not in control of the temperature in the White House. He's not in control of anything. 
Well, it was a day before that press conference that 65 days into his administration, he had not given a press conference, finally announces he's going to. And then as he's walking out of some speech he gave, he gave, you've got reporters, this is on video, asking him, what are your thoughts on, on the, on your press conference coming tomorrow? And he goes, what press conference? Now, do I actually think that he didn't know about the press conference? No, obviously he knew he'd been preparing, but in that moment, he didn't have an answer. He had no clue that he was going to be speaking the next day in that moment. Now, what happens when a Putin or a Kim Jong or a, a Benjamin Netanyahu or, or Trudeau, any of these people are allies across the world or, or our enemies? They're on the phone with Joe Biden and they're trying to have a candid conversation leader to leader and they ask him about something and he goes, what are you talking about? Even if somewhere deep in the dark recesses of his brain that information is there, if he's not able to recall it and access it accurately, some might call that just the basic essentials in order for him to be able to do his job. Anyways, today's goal is not to disqualify Joe Biden for the office of the president. Today's goal is a filibuster. So Joe Biden said in his press conference, that he doesn't want to abolish the filibuster. He wants to take it back to what it was before, where you actually had to stand up there. Nowadays, it's you threaten the filibuster, and you, you see, okay, you don't have enough votes to overcome the two-thirds. We've got enough opposition. People saying they're going to filibuster. Well, let's just not even bring this to the floor of the Senate. And that's procedural filibustering in today's political world. Right or wrong, that's how it is. I'm not smart enough, and I don't have enough experience standing in Congress to know whether or not that is a good or a bad thing. But as it stands right now, the filibuster, the way it works right now, it's more procedural. So what does that mean? Well, as you heard in the opening audio, that if you take it back to where you actually have to stand, well, one, all that's going to do is make the people actually doing the standing look very good for their base. Ted Cruz, Rand Paul, looked great in 2013 for the Republican base because it is a literal show of your commitment to whatever position it is you're taking on this bill. So there's number one. It's just going to make grandstanders look good. But then number two, do you really think there's not enough Republicans out there to stand up there and filibuster any Democrat bill? I mean, you get five, there's your whole week taken care of. Let's get five more next week or the same five or, or you know, whatever the rules require. Let's get enough Republicans up there to just block this stuff. And you're going to hear the term nuclear option, which is something that Mitch McConnell, who is the uh, Senate minority leader, he is threatening the nuclear option, which is what that means is we will filibuster literally anything that you want to bring to the Senate floor if you do this. And he's referring to if they pass gun, regu uh, gun regulations and other air quotes assault weapons ban. And then also if they try to go forward with this HR1 bill, which is, you know, everybody wants the coveted HR1 spot. It's the first bill on their agenda. HR1 for this administration is the Voting Rights. And that sounds great, Voting Rights Act. Oh, I'm, I'm in favor of voting rights. I want everybody to be able to vote. But it has very little to do with voting rights. That's, an, that's a topic for another day. But it's those things that Mitch McConnell is saying that we are so diametrically opposed to these things that you're pushing. And our base, our Republican voters, conservative voters are so opposed to this that we will invoke the nuclear option and we will just obstruct anything and everything that you want to do. So, that would lead 
a politician, a go-along-to-get-along, a average Joe, Joe Biden, to ease up on the language a little bit. So now he's saying, I, I don't want to get rid of the filibuster. I think it should be there, which obviously he does, because back in, what was it, 2005, in that opening audio, um, just flat out defending it as a basic fundamental principle of our constitution, something that's the genius of the founders. So what changed? Well, what changed is Barack Obama is no longer president. Now in comes Donald Trump. So my first point here is, or I guess the first question I asked myself when I wanted to understand what is a filibuster. So when I want to understand something, give myself a topic headline And then I ask a bunch of questions and I just start answering my own questions, which usually lead to more questions, which is why um, I don't, I don't sleep much, but I got an article from Politico talking about record breaking gridlock when it came to Trump's nominations. Now you may or may not be aware Politico is not a publication that is very friendly to the conservative movement, Republicans in general, and especially not Donald Trump. But they highlight in this article, and it's very obvious why they highlight it, just from the very first sentence of the article. Quote, President Donald Trump is facing more delays to his nominees than any previous president. And if Joe Biden beats him, this article is written mid-2020, if Joe Biden beats him, the former vice president might get it even worse. And, And that's exactly what I have been pointing to. That is something that many on the conservative side have been pointing to. In that when you start using these levers of government in an irresponsible way, maybe it's technically constitutional, maybe it doesn't violate the Constitution word for word, and so you're you're technically able to use it. But what that means is you've just opened up a loophole, and the next party is going to come in and do the exact same thing, which is what we're seeing. We, We saw it with Donald Trump. He basically undid as much as he could of what Obama did. And now we're seeing it with Biden, where day one and day two, he was passing executive orders to counter what Donald Trump had done from immigration to the Iran deal, to the Paris Agreement, to Keystone XL pipeline, to fracking. All these things that Donald Trump did, Joe Biden just right away undoing him. So every four years, we're going to have a flip-flop of how our government is going to operate. Now, our government already operates in an extremely inefficient way. And so now throw on every four years, maybe every eight years, they've got to now undo everything, start over again. It's completely irresponsible, inefficient, and it doesn't work. And it'll ultimately result in exactly what we're seeing now, where it's not working, nothing is getting done. So now you've got strongmen. Donald Trump was somewhat of a strongman. Joe Biden is definitely proving through executive orders that he's already surpassed every president before him on the number of executive orders used in the, in the first year of a first term. He, he's what, two months in and he's already surpassed everybody, literally. So my question being, has it, was it recently used by Democrats? Yes. And before that, it was used by Republicans. And both sides said it was dangerous to the Constitution dangerous to checks and balances in our government. So both both parties are, are guilty. We've established that. Cool. I'm, I'm fine with that. I've got no love for the Republican Party. You know, if, if somebody that I felt was conservative and loved the Constitution was running as a Democrat, better believe I'd vote Democrat. I don't 
I don't care. And that, that's the beauty of, I think, millennials. Millennials are so detached from party loyalty that they're having to find new ways to keep people uh, loyal to whatever party it is that they're trying to get votes for. And, and so that's essentially race relations. They've successfully somehow managed to make the Republicans the party of Abraham Lincoln, the party of liberation, the party of the Emancipation Proclamation, the party of voting rights, the party of the Civil Rights Movement is now the racist party. You tell me how that makes any lick of sense. Moving on. CNN piece um, highlighting Joe Biden's filibuster flip-flopping. Democrats in 2013 took the filibuster from 67 to 60 votes needed in order to confirm presidential nominees. I misspoke earlier, um, so I want to highlight that. They didn't take it down to a slight majority. They took it from 67 to 60 votes in order to confirm presidential nominees because Republicans were filibustering or air quotes obstructing um, Barack Obama's nominations. And that's a practice that the CNN article highlights as Democrats had actually started the practice of blocking presidential nominees under George W. Bush. So you see here, this isn't a Fox News article. This isn't the blaze. This isn't Daily Wire. This isn't, you know, fast-talking Ben Shapiro talking about leftist tears and tearing apart Joe Biden. This is CNN. This is an opinion piece. Scott Jennings is the, is the author. But this is a piece that CNN went with. Trying to be fair here. There's another article, the townhall.com, uh, talking about the breathtaking dishonesty on the filibuster coming from Senate Democrats. I've highlighted that enough just with the audio at the beginning. Uh, quoting the article, stripping the op- opposition party of a long-standing mechanism in order to railroad a leftist agenda through a deadlock Senate, including outrageous moves to consolidate partisan control and power, alongside the slimmest Democratic House majority in nearly a century, would be a shocking betrayal of Biden's fundamental promise. I would say fundamental promise of unity. So so they've got a very, very slight majority in the House. They have no majority in the Senate, so they're going to destroy the filibuster in an effort to still pass their agenda because what, Biden thinks he's got mythical Republican voters behind him who didn't see any reason to like that doesn't make sense to me just that whole sentiment i've got republican voters not republican uh, lawmakers in the same breath that we voted or whoever voted for joe biden they also put in republican leaders and somehow he sees that as justification to skirt around congress it makes absolutely no sense quoting the same uh town hall article President Trump loudly demanded that Senate Republicans blow up the legislative filibuster to help him pass his agenda. I remember Donald Trump talking the same talk. They won't work with us, so let's go around them. And conservatives were definitely opposed to that. Senate Republicans refused him, Mitch McConnell being one of them. As much as the left hates Mitch McConnell, he, he did them as solid. If the Republicans had gone along with Donald Trump in destroying the filibuster, we'd have a very different United States of America right now. Good or bad. 
Still quoting Town Hall, during the Trump presidency, a majority of Senate Democrats rushed to attach their names to a bipartisan letter insisting that the filibuster not be touched for the good of the Senate and the nation. Now almost all of those signatories are changing their minds for no other reason than their new status as members of the majority in the Senate, whose howling base is demanding it. So we, we essentially we've learned nothing new in anything that I just said. What we've further established is that both parties are guilty of wanting to abuse this. But we, what we've also established is that most recently the Democrats have used it and abused it. And most recently the Republican uh, lawmakers in Congress have defended it. It's, it's the Democrats' turn to defend it. But as I'm going to show here soon, Democrat leadership is not in agreement with Joe Biden. So if Joe Biden's talking about a procedural threat at best, as we saw from the CNN intro audio, that he wants to take it back to where you've actually got to stand up there, that's not, we've already established, that's not going to do much of anything for the Democrats. So then what's the fear from the right? Why are we so afraid of this? Because we're not afraid of Joe Biden. Joe Biden's a joke when it comes to the conservative right. The fear much like the left in 2016, is not the president himself. It's the people he's surrounding himself with. So you do a quick Google. Who are the most influential Democrats in the nation? So I started there. <laughs> Ballotpedia is who I went with, who is not conservative. They're at, at best, or really at worst, bipartisan. Um, and they just they, they pull information of all the candidates who are either running for election or just been elected or whatever it is anyways so based on popularity schumer is up there chuck schumer senate majority leader and and this is a newsweek article quoting him and his his push to reform uh the voting rights act and of course reform the filibuster um and, and he's talking about the voting rights act as Basically, us as Republicans are wanting to deny minorities the right to vote because of what? Because of they want to put restrictions on mail-in voting and they want to put an, a voter ID. Holy crap, right? That's amazing. Suddenly, mail-in voting is this critical civil rights piece of regulation or lack of. Mail-in voting was a COVID thing. This is what fueled so many conspiracy theories and still does, is the fact that it makes... You know what else Democrats are pushing? This is still on topic. What, we're, what Democrats are pushing for right now is this COVID vaccination passport. So this is a form of... This is a form of identification showing that you have or have not received the vaccine. So now to live just your normal everyday life, you have to be able to prove that you've been vaccinated to go to concerts. I'm sure to go to sports arenas to go. I'm sure to vote. I mean, what is voting is a mass gathering, right? So let's say they've successfully keep COVID around till 2022. Are you going to need a passport to go and vote? But you can't bring a photo ID. I see. So Schumer likened the GOP attempts to block H.R. 1 as obnoxious, despicable, and anti-democratic. And then he compares them to an autocracy like Hungary, 
which I, ha- I had to look up. What is he talking about? That country's conservative government has made major changes to its constitution- constitutional structure to favor the ruling party. So I saw that. and I'm, Okay, so the ruling party being conservative, making regulation changes to favor themselves. Now, obviously, internationally speaking, conservative, right and left, all those terms are specific to the country you're talking about. So don't think of conservative in Hungary as conservative in America. Very different. But the point being, this conservative government is the ruling party, and they're the ones making the the constitutional changes. And so Schumer comparing that to what the Republicans are doing right now is actually, it's, it's, it's apples and not even oranges. It's, it's something very close, but actually opposite. It's a flip side of the coin. You know, that's a better metaphor. Um, these changes that are being proposed by the Democrats, they are the ruling party right now. They're just not ruling enough. They don't have enough of a majority to to actually do everything that they want to do. And we just talked about that as not necessarily a bad thing, not a good thing or a bad thing. That's just how the election turned out. And what it is, is it's, it's a pumping of the brakes. It's okay. The people aren't necessarily all in favor of everything that you're saying that you want to do. So they didn't give you the majority. Had all the states been pro Joe Biden's agenda, they would have given more favor to Congress on the Democrat side. So now it's a speed bump. And what they're afraid of is much like after Obama's eight years, they got a lot of their good stuff passed, and then Donald Trump came in and undid a lot of it. So now they want to move quicker than Obama did, and they want to make sure that there's, it can't just be overturned in four years. So this is not a ruling party trying to save the filibuster. This is a ruling party trying to get rid of the filibuster, which is it was it is a protection for the minority group in Congress, the minority of the country, the minority opinion, the political voice is the Republican Party right now. Mar- you know, marginally, not by a long or large margin, but it is. So these are the same Democrats that have abused the filibuster in recent years who are now calling it racist and, quote, despicable. So that, that's Schumer. Let's look at Obama. Obviously, he's not in Congress anymore or in the Senate, but he's definitely been there. <laughs> he's definitely a thought leader uh, when it comes to the filibuster at trying to get rid of it right now. So here's some audio of Barack Obama at, uh, this is from the Washington Post, funeral for former Rep. John Lewis, Democrat from Georgia, on July 30th, 2020. Uh, Here's Obama's words at a funeral, which is kind of weird, but regarding the filibuster. Somebody who's working in a factory, or you're a single mom who's got to go to her job and doesn't get time off, You can still cast your ballot by guaranteeing that every American citizen has equal representation in our government, including the American citizens who live in Washington, D.C. and in Puerto Rico. They're Americans. By ending some of the partisan gerrymandering, 
so that all voters have the power to choose their politicians, not the other way around. And if all this takes eliminating the filibuster, another Jim Crow relic, in order to secure the God-given rights of every American, then that's what we should do. So there you have it. Um, I played the, the, a lot of audio before him talking about the filibuster because I want to make a quick point in something I brought up in episode 32 that they love to include certain things that actually are unifying. Like I, I think most Americans would agree that there's always been a lot of funny business going on with gerrymandering where they, they redistrict certain voting areas. So, you know, when you're voting, you're voting for a specific district and you've got certain representatives that represent that district and gerrymandering. What they do is they say, well, let's redraw the regional boundaries, the district boundaries, because we want to include these people over here in this new uh, developing area or whatever. And so it, it, there can be some manipulation of who your constituents are and things like that. So sure, most Americans would hear that and think, well, let's talk about it. We can agree on that. But then they throw in language about which they never want to talk about, which is the real meat of it, and that Republicans don't want to, one, federalize uh, the voting um, regulations, law, and things like that. It's supposed to be done by each state. But then also, they don't want to make permanent these issues with mail-in voting. you got a lot of states now coming out. They saw whether you, however they, they ended up voting, Democrat or Republican, you got a lot of states coming out and saying, all right, we need to regulate mail-in voting because either it's going to stick around or it's not. If it is going to stick around, we can't do 2020 all over again. It, that'll be the collapse of this country. This country can't handle another 2020 election cycle. Um Anyways, so there you go. Obama, he's he's in favor. If that's what it takes to pass this voting rights bill, if Republicans are so against it that we have to eliminate the filibuster, then let's do it. And he took it a step further. I think he, he kind of incriminated himself there, saying that the filibuster is a Jim Crow relic, essentially being something that was utilized after slavery, after Reconstruction, to continue to suppress the rights, and specifically the voting rights, of freed slaves. There's uh, education requirements, things like that, which obviously if you've never been in public schooling and never had that education, well, you can essentially lock out whoever you want to at that point when you start requiring certain levels of knowledge, which there's so many people today that say, oh, especially Republicans and conservatives, I've found, or maybe that's just the crowds that I hear it from because I don't have a ton of liberal friends, but you hear a lot of people saying, well, I think you should at least be able to to, to, to know this, to, to show that you understand this in order to be able to vote. And that's completely false. There should be no restriction on voting. The only restrictions that should be there are the ones that protect the integrity of the process itself. Not to secure a certain outcome, but to make it completely um, transparent and understandable by everybody. So requiring voter ID that is not an infringement on voter rights because you have to show an ID for pretty much everything. We've decided, even gun owners have decided that, okay, I need to at least show that I am who I am when I purchase the gun. That way they know that I'm not some dude on the FBI watch list. Like, that just makes sense. That you can call common sense gun regulation. Many would be opposed to that. Many people take a very literal stance on it and say any infringement on the Second Amendment is, is wrong. And that's a debate for another day. So... 
Obama in favor of eliminating the filibuster. Uh, I wanted to look up Raphael Warnock, a senator from Georgia, who Georgia, the election in Georgia, the Senate runoff in, in Georgia in 2020 was extremely consequential for the balance of power in the Senate. And had the Republicans won the two runoffs that were in Georgia in 2020, the Republicans would have the slight majority. Because they lost, now we've got the tiebreaker being Kamala Harris. Um, and there, there's a CNN article here, Raphael Warnock, voting rights filibuster fight, and quoting Raphael Warnock, Democrat from Georgia, no Senate rules can take priority over the foundation of the democracy itself. One person, one vote. We have to find a way to preserve that. So he's basically saying that, yes, these procedures are important, but this bill that we're putting forward is even more important than that. So we sh that gives us liberty and justice to move forward with what we want to do in spite of congressional um, disapproval through procedural votes or what, whatever it might be. There's a reason why Congress won't allow them to get this bill passed easily. So let's, let's take it to them. Let's do it the hard way. Let's get rid of the filibuster because that is what justice and the right side of history would demand of us. Totally disagree, but there's his stance. Now, for the sake of not just quoting CNN, um, you know, CNN is now conservative. No, CNN is not conservative. But for the sake of not just quoting CNN, here's an NPR article. And now we're going to shit on Elizabeth Warren from, uh, what is it, Massachusetts, I think. Um, quoting Elizabeth Warren, we have a Congress that is beholden to the gun industry. Now, this was during a, uh, this was a Thursday night debate during the Democratic prim primaries of 2020 when she was still trying to think that she could potentially be president, which is hilarious. Um, still quoting. So we have a Congress that is beholden to the gun industry, and, and unless we're willing to address that head-on and roll back the filibuster, we're not going to get anything done on guns. I was in the United States Senate when 54 senators said, let's do background checks, let's get rid of assault weapons. And with, with 54 senators, it failed because of the filibuster. Damn right it did. That's what it's there for. You can't just steamroll over nearly half the country when you have a slight mob majority. That's that's not how the system works. So, Elizabeth Warren in favor of eliminating the filibuster. Well, she says roll back the filibuster. So let's, at, at best, she agrees with Joe Biden that it should be rolled back to previous levels or whatever you want to call it. Um, Pete Buttigieg, total just... The left has just a crush on Pete Buttigieg, I, I guess, because he he likes, well, what he likes versus what he doesn't like, sexually. Um, Pete Buttigieg quote: "This is a current bad position that Bernie Sanders holds. We are in South Carolina. How are we going to deliver a revolution if you won't even support a rule change? First of all, holy crap! Could you imagine a Madison Cawthorn or some conservative, some pro-Trump Republican saying?" How are we going to deliver a, a revolution if you won't even support a rule change? Like, holy crap. Uh, he pointed out that Senator Strom Thurmond, who's a former South Carolina senator, used the filibuster to block civil rights legislation. It has got to be because otherwise Washington will not deliver. So there's Pete Buttigieg's, Buttigieg's position. How are we going to do something that and maybe this, maybe this is their, their rationality. We're fighting systemic racism. Well, how can you fight systemic racism within the confines of the system that they're claiming is racist? So, I mean, 
that right there, I mean, when you reach that point and, and, and also take into account, conservatives are not saying this. Conservatives are not saying this system is so screwed and so backwards because of the Democrats that now we need a revolution. No, that is coming from the left, which is ironic because all of the media coverage of anything resembling violence has to do with January 6th. You know, I, I've looked recently, if you're watching the news, uh, Antifa took over, violently took over the state capital in uh, Salem, Oregon. Now, if you try to Google for that article, Antifa attacks state capitol building or something like that, you will get pages and pages from Google about how Antifa was not responsible and played no part in the January 6th riots at the federal capitol building. So even if you've got state capital in your search, they still pull in those. I had to scroll and scroll and scroll to find the Fox News article talking about Antifa um, attacking the state capitol building just this past weekend in Oregon. So that's infuriating as crap. So all the, the talk about revolution, the vast majority of it is coming from the hard, hard left. Not your Democrat voter. I'm not equating the two. Not your average Democrat. Not, not even your average Democrat uh, elected official, which I'll, I'll actually cover one that I actually love in just a second. Um, all the talks of revolution and the system is broken and must be burned down. All that talk, the majority of it is coming from the hard left. The side that is saying hey, the system is broken, but we can fix it is the right. And yet the media coverage does not represent either one of those two hard facts. Uh, moving on from Buttigieg to Andrew Yang, who is a favorite of the, I would say, the sane Democrat, the rational Democrat, even the rational Republican that was just on board with the whole orange, orange man bad thing. I seriously looked into Andrew Yang as a candidate because he 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 makes sense. He, he he's an entrepreneur. He's a businessman. He was supposed to be the the counter to the Donald Trump businessman. He was also, if I remember correctly, a, a defender of universal income or at least a basic income, which California is trying out right now, which we've talked about. Um, but I didn't have to go far to find Andrew Yang's position on the filibuster because it's right on his 2020 campaign website. As president, I will. Bullet point one, get rid of the filibuster or Mitch McConnell, or preferably both. Promote an end to the current filibuster system used in the Senate, ending the requirement for a 60-vote cloture motion and replacing it with a traditional need to hold the floor. So that right there, kind of the same as Joe Biden. Um, but, he, but And this is the creativity of deceit, right? You've got one sentence or really two sentences. In the first sentence, get rid of the filibuster or Mitch McConnell, period. And then in the sec second sentence, ending the requirement for a 60-vote cloture motion and replacing it with a traditional need to hold the floor. So one sentence, get rid of it. The other sentence, roll it back to these other to, to previous levels, just like Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren. Bullet point two, this will promote the actual articulation of an argument against the legislation or op appointment opposed. So I, I would I would kind of agree with that. You know, if you're going to do a filibuster, if you're going to actually say that you agree with this or disagree with this, well, then hold the stage and actually make your point. Uh, don't do a Ted Cruz and just read Dr. Seuss to your kids. Like, that was all great for Fox News, but 
sure, let's take it back to an effective point where you actually had to hold the floor. Cool. And then another thing that Andrew Yang throws in on his website, whether or not he actually believes this, I'll say he does, I like it, is a phase-in period so that the Senate that implements the majority requirement isn't the Senate that first operates under the new rules. So if you're going to make this change, it only applies to the next administration, not your own. That right there, I think, could be employed in a lot of different uh, lawmaking so you can't just be passing this bill because it benefits you right now. It actually benefits the system in general. I kind of like that. But Andrew Yang, get rid of the filibuster or Mitch McConnell, period. So there's his stance. So in conclusion, uh, I've shit on enough people. Both parties have been guilty of using, changing, and even taking advantage of the filibuster. I'm shitting on the Democrats today because they are the party currently in control, yet still talking about ending it. This cannot happen. If a minority party can get enough base support, enough voters to say, yeah, go forward with this and impede action on the federal level. Let's say that just how do normal people talk like shit, dude. If you can get enough voters to say, hey, we don't want you to allow this to happen at the federal level. That is the nation speaking. That's not your cue, Joe Biden, to say, well, sure, Mitch McConnell doesn't want me to do it, but I believe there's some hypothetical Republican voter base out there that wants me to do everything a Democrat would do. Well, then why the hell didn't they vote for Democrats in Congress? Anyways, if your ideas were more popular, Democrats, you would have won enough congressional seats to not need to end the filibuster. And that's the, 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 the larger point, really, that I'm trying to make. Good ideas don't need to fear bad ideas. They can only see the challenge and recognize the challenge and then rise above it or not. But so far, the argument in, in the case of freedom, whether it be pro-gun or anti-abortion, you know, uh, pro-life, up until recent years, the argument was better for what I would say is the right course of action. And then we got complacent. We allowed just cut death by a thousand cuts and now the progressives have incrementally infiltrated the system enough to say well you allowed this you allowed this you allowed this so why wouldn't you allow this and that's what we're seeing so bottom line if you can't get enough support for what you're trying to do federally send it to the states let's see how many states want to go forward with this but we've seen it in so many different areas the states with the strictest gun laws are the ones with the most gun violence the states with the strictest COVID lockdowns are the ones who are still going through COVID lockdowns and are still seeing increased numbers of um, infection rates. And I saw this morning, I think it's New York or New Jersey, one of the news, saying uh, that their, their infection rates are still increasing. They're locked down. What, what, what are we doing? So enough filibuster. All of that, everything that we just talked about, leads me to my real goal of 2021. And that's peace. We've seen, you see in the movies all the time, the, the calls for war, the to war, the charge, whatever. And you see the excitement behind that scene in the movie. There's, there's swelling music. And you're like, yes, we're doing something. The inspiring general calls his loyal followers to war. For whatever reason... We don't have the same excitement when it comes to 
sowing the seeds or fostering or even reaping the harvest of peace in our communities and nations. And that's why we continue to lose that struggle, period. That's what I believe. I believe that we are fighting so hard to win wars that we are not fighting hard enough to sow seeds of peace. So now I want to play you some audio from this past Friday, March 26th, on the Glenn Beck program, his radio show, um, talking to Democrat State Rep McKnight from South Carolina. And this to me is, when I when I think of hope, <laughs> when I think of maybe this country isn't just done, uh, I think of audio like this. Take a listen. So they're happy, I'm happy. Let me ask you this. Um, because we just had Tom Corbin on from uh, South Carolina, I'd be interested in what you thought of his uh, unorganized militia bill. Um, I haven't really had an opportunity to study that bill in particular, but what, what I will tell you is where I stand on the Second Amendment. I'm very much so pro-Second Amendment. Um, I'll just give you a brief history. My parents ran a nightclub, liquor store, a bail bonding company, and a taxi cab company. The Holy most dangerous businesses you could, ha- you could have. So, yeah. it's, the, it's like, I, I, and we did it well in war. I mean, that's a, and, wow. And I, I, said all, I said all that to say this. I'm not going to put any American citizen in a position to where they can't protect themselves. I wouldn't do it to my parents, and I'm not going to do it to anyone else. So that's where I'm an avid hunter. I own firearms. I skeet shoot regularly. And I think that we have you can have responsible gun ownership in this country. And that's where I stand. And I'm not going to support anything that's going to take away the rights of, of citizens to bear arms i'm not as a uh, as a democrat how do we speak to other you know democrats that have not gone all woke and crazy about the modern sporting rifle it's an ar is what people use to hunt now how do we well, I, how do we explain an ar looks spooky but it's not any different it's kind of hard for me to explain it to anyone. I was in the Army, so I know how to use an AR-15. I mean, that's what you learn in basic training. Right. And I think that all the people that are giving the most, you know, the most forceful blowback are talking about the AR-15 have never used one. They've never been to a rifle range. And they tr- they're trying to put this one-size-fits-all gun control thing on all of america what works in new york city does not work in king street south carolina right so i think it's a local issue and you need to let your local legislature speak to those issues so a freaking men right when have we heard anything to that level of call it compromise call it just wanting to unite call it whatever you want to call it when have we heard that language from washington dc we haven't. All we've been hearing is, this is my argument, I'm sticking to it, you're never going to sway me otherwise. And then the other side says, well, I'm sticking to my argument, you're never going to sway me otherwise. I guess the only way we're going to do anything is to abolish the filibuster. And that, and that we've talked about this before, choice structure. We're given the choice of Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, or Donald Trump, Mike Pence. We're given the choice of everybody is carrying a gun at all times, or nobody gets to have a gun. And that's, that's not the case that is coming from voices who are not, they are not in a position at the federal level to foster peace in a nation made up of 50 autonomous states. They're not. 
anything that you're sending to Washington, D.C. is like, we need this to happen, that's not fostering peace. What you're doing is you are further empowering whatever you want to call it, a fascistic government, autocratic government, a, a, a large government, a centralized government versus a decentralized government, whatever you want to call it, you are giving more power to the people that you are saying are the culprits behind every one of our problems. Bring it back to the local level. Literally agree to disagree. If you can't get enough votes in the Senate to pass a bill, agree to disagree and let the states handle it. No more of this, hey, all you Dems, get on board the Trump train or go to hell. And no more, hey, Republicans, get down with Biden or you're a racist. That is why we're in the position that we're in. If you truly, truly want peace in our country, unite as states to take back your sovereignty. Don't unite as a state on a position. You know, don't unite a majority of the states saying, hey, we support this position, so now the federal government should take over. No, just unite as states to say, screw the federal government, we're taking our power back. I mean, I've seen so many people that, you know, you're, uh, you're transgender and you want transgender rights. Well, let's move to Colorado. Or, you, you know, you want to smoke weed or, or you want to do whatever and you want to go somewhere where it's legal. Do it. That is not a bad thing, you know? I'm, I'm choosing to stay in Texas for the most part, my family, but then part two, let's say I had no family here. I like the policies of my state, but I mean, that's, that's it. That's where we're at right now. It's not that hard. Um, we can come together if that's the goal. Unfortunately, we're continuing to elect politicians on the federal level whose goal is not peace. Their goal is winning. And when there's winners and losers, there's there's revolution, frankly. And that's where we're at. We're on the cusp of revolution from both sides. But as we illustrated earlier, predominantly from one side saying the system is broken. The system has racism built into it. It's time to burn it all down. In many cases, literally, as we saw in Portland this past weekend. Uh, quickly, before we get out of here... Um, Am I the only one who is completely blindsided by this whole Lil Nas X story? If, if you haven't heard, of course, uh, links are in the show notes. There's a Rolling Stone article that I chose uh, to talk about this. Lil Nas, who I did not know anything about, and I basically still don't, except for he put out that song, um, Old Town Road. And pretty much everybody has heard the song, whether by choice or if it was forced upon you through some TikTok video that you just couldn't escape on Instagram, which is pretty much how I know uh, anything about that song. Um, He just put out another song, and not just the song, but the video accompanying that song called Montero, uh, and then the subtitle or whatever you want to call it, Call Me By Your Name. Um... (laughs) I've got my opinions on this video, but I I heard about it through a pastor, a local pastor that I follow, who said, basically, it's not up to us as Christians to become a marketing arm for everything that we disagree with. So if I think that this video is offensive, which I do, and we'll go through why, then I, I don't need to take it upon myself to now market for him by saying, this video is so inflammatory, don't watch it. 
Because every single time you see something telling you to do anything nowadays, what's in front of it? Inflammatory video. You know, backlash from evangelical evangelicals over this video. So, of course, everybody's going to go watch it. So I did the watching for you. You don't need to watch it. And if, you, if you're just curious about it, whatever. I don't necessarily think you're marketing for him. I think that you're engaging in pop culture. And this is something that's going on. And whether or not you watch it or not, I think it's purely inconsequential as far as the story goes. Anyways, this is a quote from this Rolling Stone article. And I think this quote will tell you basically everything you need to know about the video to hopefully not watch it because <laughs> I did. And I, um, well, I had, I think I had a different take on it than many would on the right or the evangelical side. Anyways, quoting Rolling Stone, watching the rapper twerk atop a swole zaddy Satan in the video is redolent with symbolism. As Lil Nas X put it in a press release, it was intended as a nod to homophobes who accuse gay people of going to hell, with the, the dethroning of Satan as a means of dismantling the throne of judgment and punishment that has kept many of us from embracing our true selves out of fear. Uh, it also appears to be a fuck you to those on the far right who accused Lil Nas X of Satanism back in 2019. Mostly, however, it's just badass. End quote. That's Rolling Stone. So as you heard, there's a part in the video where Lil Nas uh, twerks and um, is all over this representation of Satan on a throne. Uh, Lil Nas rides a strip pole, stripper pole down into hell and then boldly approaches Satan and he is twerking and dancing on Satan. Then he goes behind Satan and snaps Satan's neck and pulls his horns off and puts them on his own head. There's another video that or a song that I like by a band called Parkway Drive, and it's the the song is titled "Killing Gods," and the song is is the lyrics are essentially this bad thing happened in my life, somebody died in my family, or I forget exactly what it was, but tonight we're killing gods, and I have the same feeling I had when that song came out, which is it's attention seeking, it it's intentionally inflammatory because that's what sells in today's world to me the video looks to be made or at least crafted by someone who does not believe in the evil that it is invoking do you somehow believe that making a video about dethroning satan actually scared satan a little bit no i don't think they do i think they made this video from the standpoint of we we many people think we shouldn't therefore we should and I mean, that that's just, that's Hollywood. That's that's the music industry nowadays. That's just how it is. And maybe how it's always been. You, just, you push that envelope a little bit and then everybody freaks out and there's your marketing budget. But I think that my perspective of the video is different than their perspective because my perspective is that of somebody who actually believes in evil, spiritual evil. And I believe that it's responsible for a lot of the the horrors and the, the, the terrible things we see in the news cycle almost on a daily basis now. But really, unfortunately, not in the news, but on social media through profiles like the Nazarene Fund or Operation Underground Railroad. So there I'm speaking specifically about slavery, present day slavery and sex trafficking and all of these things. There's terrible things happening in the world right now. Um, that I would blame on evil or Satan or the forces of hell or whatever you want to call it. 
from the perspective of the founder of the Church of Satan, um, Rolling Stone was able to get a quote from this guy. Quote, we view ourselves as the most powerful beings in the world. The fact that he crowned himself as Satan, now that's satanic, he says. So what does he mean by that? Um, Here's some info I pulled from that Rolling Stone article. Founded in 1966 by Anton LaVey, the Church of Satan does not actually believe in a Christian version of Satan or worship Satan as a deity. Rather, the Church of Satan is more humanistically centered with members referring to the organization as the world's first carnal religion. Basically, we worship ourselves. We refer to ourselves as I-theists, saying, says Harris. We see ourselves as our own God. So, what does that mean? Um, people might call it humanism. People might call it the worship of self. The, these humanistic approaches to spiritual problems... Um, I can reflect with it in some ways, if I'm honest. You know, there's so many times where the other day I got all teary eyed. My wife's like, what the hell is wrong with you? But we're driving through our apartment complex and I'm, it's a beautiful day. I've got the truck windows down. She probably hated it because of the allergies, but I had the windows down. I'm probably blasting Metallica or something. And I'm just driving through the apartment complex and I see everybody is out in their patios drinking something or they're watering plants or little kids are sticking their arms to the railings or butterflies or whatever. It was just, everybody was collectively enjoying this beautiful day. And, and it, it struck me because I'm like, we really are one world. Like we really are humans down to our core. We are all essentially the same. Like we, we basically want some of the same things and everybody's got their own systems, their own governments that have developed over time to address those human needs whether uh, it's to actually address them or it's to suppress them. Um, but we are all, we're all humans and we all should be united around certain things and yet we're divided. And it, it, it frustrates me so much because I see these things and we can unite. Anyways, so I, I understand and I kind of sympathize with that whole, we are the world, we're all humans and, um, I don't take it as far as we see ourselves as our own God, because I think that that's the defining line. That's the difference. I believe that humans are inherently good and that we should treat each other well. And I think that that's only possible through the belief in something bigger than ourselves. And that something bigger is what people have decided to disagree over whether it's the something bigger is God or Jesus or Muhammad or Buddha or government or the earth, um, mother nature, uh, the ozone and all those things, or if it literally is just us ourselves, that is where that's the defining difference between all these different belief systems. And it's what keeps us from uniting. And to a greater point, talk, going back to this little Nas video, the video is they're claiming is not invoking Satan or anything evil. It is purely a middle finger in the face of who I, I would expect them to say Christians, evangelicals who would look at him as being gay and say that that is wrong. Um, some of them would condemn. I don't want to drag this on too much longer, but Christians are our own worst enemy many times. 
And the sad truth is it's not present day Christians most of the time. It's how Christianity has treated people in the past. And it's, it's you can call it unfair, whatever you want to call it, to to lump us all in with the Christianity of past. But that's where we're at, you know. And so I would never look at this video and say, oh, well, Nas, he's a Satanist. I see it as really immaturity. I see it as just begging for attention. Um, and, and further down that point, the Rolling Stone article acts like the right conservatives, Christians, whatever you want to call us, that we're destined to try to cancel this video. And, and, and that's, where, that's where all these articles are taking is all these, these Christians are trying to cancel everybody and this guy's just speaking out about trans and, and gay rights and things like that. And I haven't heard anybody talking about canceling this video. I have not. Now, there may be, they may be out there, but I, as far as the politicians and the media outlets and all these things that I subscribe to or follow or whatever it is, I have not seen a single person saying that the video should be canceled because it is just so offensive. It's really sad that they're living so far in the past because sure, maybe 20, 30 years ago, different story, 10, 15 years ago, maybe different story. I don't know. But present day conservative right says, I'll just turn the video off or I'll never watch it to begin with. You know, there's movies that people freak out about because this scene was in it. And I'm like, I never even took the time to watch the video because I knew that type of bull crap was going to be in it. So while the right says, um, click, turn it off, the left says, this is beautiful. Come at us, Christians. Meanwhile, Christians aren't really saying anything other than, hey, you probably shouldn't watch this video because it's freaking gross. And so, so what are we supposed to do? How do we unite? Well, I think as Christians, it's not upon, it's not our job to police the the moral leanings of everybody in the world or in this country. At, at, if we're going to do anything, if there's any course of action we're supposed to take from this, it's, it's just pray. Pray for Lil Nas, who is, is someone who's clearly desperate for attention and publicity. And I think that's that's where we have to leave it as this is not somebody spitting in the face of God, I don't believe. I don't think he took a, he made a conscious decision to say, um, I align myself with Satan. I see it much as a European type of Satanism. A lot of these metal bands that come out where they, they never claim, hey, we love Satan. They always claim, well, we've been offended by the church. You know, I had a pastor who abused me, or and that's a specific story that I'm referring to. I'm not just making that up, but... Uh, I had a father who who would always quote the Bible at me and and wanted to cut off my long hair because I, I liked metal and, and and all these things that that are past. Nowadays, I mean, you don't have many Christians out there saying, "Oh, you shouldn't have tattoos. You're going to go to hell because of tattoos." Like it is so. It's so in the past that now arguing against it is pointless. It's an exercise in futility because you're arguing against an argument that nobody even cares about anymore. So that, that, I mean, that to me, that, that's all I took from the Lil Nas X video, other than the fact that it, it kind of looked like it was made by the same people who made Frozen, at least in the beginning. It was very Disney-like. Um, so anyways, if you want to watch the video, go for it. I don't think there's anything incredibly offensive from it, only because I see it from the standpoint of somebody just trying to make me offended. So now I'm like, no, I don't want to be offended because then the terrorists win. Uh, I, I just want to turn it off really so I mean, I'll never watch the video again because why would I
and that's really the the extent of its impact on my life so there you have it uh, a lot of stuff I wanted to get to, but I didn't. So it's looking like you're going to hear from me again on Wednesday. We're, we're coming up on episode 50 really fast. I got to think of something cool and uh, exciting to do there. I expect my first guest to come on before or maybe for episode 50. And that I'm super excited about. So stay tuned for that. Again, like, comment, share on the, on the new episode posts and the things that we put out. If you got if you got a different opinion about this little not sex video, DM us or, or put a comment on the on the new episode uh, graphic that we put up or on our story. And other than that, um, leave us reviews. Let us know how we're doing. Email us info at crossandmusket.com. So that being said, be a good human, be kind to each other, and uh, try to make some positive change in the world. Don't just try to win battles, but actually pursue battles of peace versus just trying to win these petty battles that only further divide us. Um, Thank you for tuning in. This is episode 33 of the Point B Podcast. Check out BlackRifleCoffee.com. Check out Cross and Musket Apparel on Instagram at Cross and Musket. And check out used promo code Insta for 20% off. Thank you for tuning in. We will see you on probably Wednesday.